close call with death. Have you had one? I have. I've had a lot of them, but who's counting? In this session, we'll talk about the events of those of us that have come dangerously close to death and had the great luck or destiny to elude death and carry on. Enjoy the show. So we'll kick this off. Um, I'm with uh, Jason Van Camp, and this is a Close Call with Death podcast. And um, Jason is the chairman at uh, Mission Six Zero, executive director of Warrior Rising, and a member of the Special Forces Group has been uh, and still is, will always be Navy SEAL, um, Army Ranger, is my understanding, uh, Green Beret. And uh, representing our country, he uh, graduated from West Point, uh, grew up in Virginia, lives in Utah now. Do you live here in Utah, Jason? I do. I live in Utah right now. I'm outside Salt Lake City. And, uh, and I was a Green Beret and a Ranger. Uh, no, no SEAL or anything like that. But okay, um, totally respect those guys. You know, I've got a lot of those guys on my team. Love them to death. And, uh, you know, like you said, I grew up in Virginia. I'm a Virginia guy. I went to West Point, traveled all over the world for the military and different things, and then, and now I'm in Utah. My wife's from Utah, and so when we decided where to live, you know, we could live anywhere, and and we compromised and ended up in Utah. So it's and all you good. came back to Utah. Well, welcome back to Utah. Uh, glad to have you here. And um, I've been reading your book, Deliberate Discomfort, and absolutely love it. Um, oh yeah, thank you. I, uh, my gosh, it, it has been an inspiration to me. I've already talked to so many of my friends about the book. I work in the uh, in the uh, business industry uh, as a, a corporate benefits um, executive, and I I talk to a lot of CEOs, CFOs, HR people about their um, insurance situations. And your coaching behind the scenes on in that book really resonated with me as far as. Um, you know what you need to do to get teams to work with you and and um and have respect and how a leader really steps up and and puts their people first and we need so much of that world today so um we'll get to that in just a minute but first tell me who's sitting in front of me who who you are um jason and and a little bit about your background and and bring me up to speed as far as uh, your current situation with your family and stuff yeah, well, I guess who am I? I'm a husband, I'm a father, and I'm a good dude. At least I try to be a good dude. And what that means is, you know, I try to help people. You know, that's what I care about, helping people, serving other people. That's when I'm happiest. You know, I say, you know, I'm, I'm selfish. I'm a very selfish person because I'm, I'm selfish about being selfless. You know, and I really believe that. You know, whenever somebody comes to my team and I hire them, I always ask them, you know, what are your values? And I put together a list of like 300 values. And you heard about that in the book in chapter yeah. three in Deliberate Discomfort. It's like pick three to five values. You know, you can't pick a hundred of them. You know, you can't make everything. You can pick three to five that really resonate with you that, you know, that really shows you who you are as a person. And for me, the three values are determination, resourcefulness, and loyalty. And that's who I am. That's what I'm all about. So when I meet somebody else who also uh, values determination, resourcefulness, and loyalty, then we become best friends. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm a guy who's in my heart. I'm, I'm saying to myself, I'm, I'm going to get the job done no matter what. Like I'm going to see it through to the end, no matter how difficult it is. 
you don't have to give me a whole lot of guidance you don't have to back brief me on a million things i'll figure it out you know i'll mm -hmm. be resourceful and then loyalty you know loyalty means you know in the dark times you know it means no matter what you know most people are loyal until things get hard and then they leave you know for me it's like if i give you my loyalty it's to the end man and that's what i i would expect from from my people as well and i hope they would give me and so that's kind of who i am i'm like i said i'm from virginia brother I'm a Virginia guy. I always consider myself a Virginia guy. I was born in Washington, D.C., so I, I'm a big <laughs> D.C. sports fan. You know, uh, we've had some good seasons with the Nats and the, and the Caps lately. Uh, the Wiz, you know, they haven't been great in a long time. And, and unfortunately, the, the Washington football team hasn't been great in a long time either, but I love them to death. And we did win the division last year, and we had a pretty good season, even though it was a losing season. <laughs> well, you see, you know what? You just are as American as American gets, man, being, being born in uh, Virginia area. And how much comes out of Virginia, you know, from our military, um, we have quite a president there. And, of course, we have Washington, D.C., the capital of our country. And I am such a patriot. I, I mean, I get seriously goosebumps and everything when I see the flag and when I see those amazing monuments, the mall so to speak in washington it, it just gives me chills and and uh what do you think about that area now being out here in utah not being there all the time not having that right under you what do you think about our nation capital and those historical monuments that are out there what what does it do to your soul when you see it well man i'll tell you what how i could be more american is i was if my name was john wayne and i was born on the fourth of july you know what i mean and i've got a friend who <laughs> A Green Beret friend that, that actually is born on the 4th of July, and his name is John Wayne. So, so growing funny. up in Washington, D.C., man, you got to know politics. You got to be able to talk uh, politics pretty well. When yeah. I was growing up, you knew there was two enemies. You know, um, number one, the Russians. You know, growing up in the 80s in Washington, D.C., they were our enemy. And number two was the Dallas Cowboys, and not particularly in that order. And so, <laughs> you know, most of most of the the the, the dads and the moms, um, you know, of, of my childhood friends growing up in Virginia in the DC area, they worked for the government. They were in the military. And so you grew up uh, with that being the normal, you know, and um, you learned a lot and you knew that something is something that was expected of you. It was a duty to serve your country, to do more, to, to put in some time, uh, you know, to give back because you never wanted someone to carry the load for you. You know, you wanted to do it yourself. And that, kind of mindset was instilled in me and in all of us in that area at a very young age. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I love that. And, um, you know, that you've uh, really put your life on the line uh, for this country and serving in the capacity that you have. Um, I want to jump into that because um, one of the things that my, my wife does in this podcast is kind of ensures that I go down the road of really getting to the nut on what it is a person did that made them reflect differently on life. Um, and oftentimes the reason for the podcast of a close call with death is that if you ever have those moments when you almost die, what that does to a person's psyche going forward. And I want to know how much, how do you value life itself? Is it a gift? Is it something you really see as a, something precious and tell me about any moments you've had where you really could have bit the big one you you could have died and what that did to your personality what that did to your mind thinking about the rest of your life what's left T 
tell me, take me to that moment or moments. I, I imagine you may have had more than one close call with death. Sure. Yeah. And, and I appreciate you wanting to get to the, to the gold nugget of everything. That's, that's commendable. And, you know, and you're doing such a great job and I appreciate that. And, and, um, you know, I was deployed, I spent two years in Russia. You know, I spent a year in Korea. I spent some time in Mali, Africa, and I spent uh, three years, roughly three years in the Middle East, specifically in Iraq. You know, I, I wasn't afforded the opportunity to go to Afghanistan just because my unit never deployed to Afghanistan. We were assigned to Iraq. And so I went over to Iraq in the initial invasion. Um, and there were a few close calls, but, you know, it was relatively quiet. You know, when we when we moved up the country, the Iraqi army basically gave up and surrendered and left. And, and we took hold of some strategic positions and continued moving north until we got up to the Syrian border. And uh, we were there for a little over a year during that deployment. The second deployment was, you know, after I got back to the States, I wanted to do more. I said, we're going to be at war for a long time. I want to be at the tip of the spear. I want to be doing something impactful. I want to help people. You know, I, I want to have more stories than anybody else. And so I tried out for the special forces. And that's about a two and a half, three year process. And uh, at the end of it, very, very difficult, you know, as you can imagine. But at the end of it, I became a Green Beret. And I reported my unit for the first time, 10 special forces group, and I was assigned a team. And uh, I was told that because I was arriving so late, they were only taking 15 out of the 16 teams you know, small ODAs, Operational Detachment Alpha, so like a, an A-team, and I was in charge of an A-team. They were only taking 15 of them to Iraq, and we were not going to be one of them. And my team, they were like, you know, hey, sir, if you're worth anything, you're going to go up there and you're going to convince them that we should be going to Iraq too. You know, and, you know, I was brand new, you know, and so I was like, here's my chance to prove myself, and my guys are giving me a hard time. And, and I'll tell you what, Bob, if I, if I hadn't, if I wasn't able to do that, I would not be looked upon favorably for the rest of my, you know, time as a as a commander, detachment yeah, commander. Yeah. And so I went to my boss and I was like, "Hey, sir, like, there's no way you're gonna keep us back here." He's like, "No, Jason, it's okay. I've got you on these these incredible assignments. You're gonna be testing some parachutes. You guys are gonna be going down to Argentina to climb some mountains. You're gonna be doing all this stuff." And I was like, "Sir, I appreciate all that, but again, there's no way we can we can yeah, with all back. due respect, you know." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I kept after him. And finally, he was like, Jason, listen, enough is enough. If you want to talk to somebody, go talk to the battalion commander. And so I went up to the battalion commander and I put together, you know, a pitch proposal and I pitched him and, and he was amused and he was impressed. And he said, okay, you got it. You know, we'll, we'll take you too. Uh, and I said, fantastic. I'll tell my team, my company commander, my immediate boss, he was like, not super happy about that because he had told me no so many times. Oh. And so he was like, all right, Jason, you got what you wanted. Find somewhere to go. And so we had nowhere to go. All the other teams were assigned locations and they had been prepping for months on, on what to expect and what to do and gathering information. We had no idea where to go. And so we ended up going to Iraq. And by the way, my team, not one person said thank you, you know, for my, my efforts to get us to go <laughs> to Iraq. No, that is a, such an empty victory. Yeah. It's kind of like expecting, hey, you know, I did it, guys. And then looked at me with, a, you know, silence and just like looked <laughs> just the other like, way. Yeah, psych. We were just kidding you. Right? Thanks, guys. You know, so we end up going to Iraq assigned to another company, which was unique, was different. And that company commander, um, he put us in, you know, a Ford operating base with another team. And then we were just told to go find somewhere to go. And so 
I found a location that had once been used by coalition forces, but nobody had been there in like two and a half years. And there wasn't any information there, nothing. And so we went out there on day one in a three Humvee convoy to take a look. And it looked like there was action there. It looked like we could do something. And we talked to the locals. There was an Iraqi army nearby. And, and they were like, oh, yeah, we get mortared every night across the river. You know, uh, there's Al-Qaeda over there. We don't want to go over there. And it's kind of like, you don't want to go over there. No, no, it's too dangerous. And we're like, oh, boy, okay. This seems like a pretty good place to go. The next day, we get in our vehicles. We go out there again to continue our um, site survey, essentially. Mm-hmm. I get a call from my boss on the radio. And he said, hey, Jason, I'm flying into your location later today. Um, I want you to turn around and go back because I want to meet you there. We've got some stuff to discuss and said a few other things. I was like, Roger, sure, no problem. So we turned the vehicles around after we had left the the compound. And I got out and I replaced um, myself with my 18 Bravo, Scott, and then my 18 Echo, Zach. He was in the the TC, the tank commander uh, position, which was the passenger side seat. And they left. And I remember walking back into um, our base that we were sharing with this other team. I took my body armor off, took my helmet off, put my weapon down, and I started walking towards the talk, the TOC Tactical Operations Center, and I heard a lot of commotion, a lot of stuff on the radio. And um, I went over there, and I was like, hey, what's going on? They're like, we have a team um, uh, under fire right now, troops in contact, the tick. I said, where is it? And they're like, it's here. I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm like, whose team is it? And they're like, it's your team. And I was like, I was like, what? And like, yeah, your team, they're taking fire right now. And I was like, they just left like 10 minutes ago. And uh, so we got our body armor back on, our helmet. We got all of our stuff. We jumped in some vehicles, everybody that was kind of in the area at the time. And we ran out there. We left to go support. And we went out there. And it was a few miles down the road from where the compound was and the enemy al-qaeda had placed uh, a bomb an ied improvised explosive device in a culvert underneath the road it was a big one and it hit my humvee the humvee that i was just in oh my gosh blew it to smithereens i could maybe share some pictures with you uh, yeah please but blew it to smithereens um my 18 bravo scott he was in the turret he got ejected literally a hundred yards down the road you couldn't believe it was baffling how far he flew down the road he was um carrying his rifle as well he landed on his rifle it it broke in half after the fact we learned he broke his back and he was so delirious that he was trying to put his weapon back together that was snapped in half and fire it and and, you know of course you can't do that uh so he was trying to do that uh zach who was sitting in, in my seat that i just left um when the bomb went off, he put both of his arms out like this to brace himself. And when we found him, both of his forearms were completely folded back, just kind of like oh. hanging there. Uh, and so he, he couldn't do anything, you know. And uh, the interpreter in the back seat, uh, he, was, he was dead. And the driver, who was on another team that was just helping us out for a few more days before they redeployed, uh, he was injured pretty significantly. And he actually uh, lost his leg because of this incident and so we got out there and the enemy had fled on motorcycles once they saw us coming we brought in some helicopters we got everybody that was injured just on the helicopter and got them out of there and um i was reporting back on the radio to my boss telling him everything that had happened reporting everything 
And at the end of it, I said, hey, sir, are you still planning on coming to meet me later this afternoon? And his response was one of confusion. He was like, what are you talking about? I'm like, well, sir, you know, you, you said earlier you were going to fly into location and meet me. And he's like, he's like, again, like, I don't know what you're talking about. I said, well, sir, when I left the compound, you know, I've turned around because we had that conversation. And he says, Jason, that wasn't me. And so I said, okay. Oh, my gosh. And I thought about that for a long time. You know, was he mistaken? Did he forget? Was it somebody else? Was it divine intervention? I don't know, but it happened. Yeah. And yeah. I turned around because of it. And I think about that experience a lot, you know, and it makes me feel strongly that there's, there's a purpose behind the things that we do in life. And there's somebody that's looking out for you or somebody that has a plan. And that was our second day. And so already two of my guys on my 12-man A team received Purple Hearts and had left country, you know, on day two. So I knew we were in for a long deployment. And, uh, and that was a rough one. I'll tell you some more stories about it here in a second, but I'll, I'll turn it over to you because I feel like I've, I've already talked. No, no. Long. No, this is exactly where I want to go, Jason. Yeah, I, you know, um, the beautiful thing about that is that um, you just told me and shared with me a, a story that um, absolutely could have been your time to go. You know, you, it could have been you in that in that Humvee at that time, at that moment, and it wasn't. And you got this prompting, this this message, you know, to be someplace else at that moment. And um, I definitely wanted to find out from you what you think uh, as far as any of us going through this life, whether you're in the military or not, are there moments when you you really do have some divine intervention that that you know you're do you believe that maybe someday your time is just it you have a, a specific time you know you're going to be on this earth or um there's moments when you know you're just spared and, and uh for, for a greater cause and another reason another thing that you're supposed to do later on in life that can contribute to helping other people talk, talk about that because you, you've had time to think about this moment uh, along with the others <laughs> um, what has that done to you that's changed you to be a little bit different from that moment on? And how are you different? Yeah, that's a deep question, you know, and I've thought about it quite a bit, you know, and I've gone this direction, I've gone that direction. I, I think most people that have had similar experiences kind of go uh, in, in different directions. I think, uh, I think people that can accept life for, for what it is, you know, and prepare themselves mentally. Those are the guys that I've seen succeed, not just in combat, but after combat. Meaning, you know, when we were going over to combat, there are things that are hard to imagine. I'm going to get into a firefight. I'm going to kill someone else. I'm going to shoot at someone else. I'm going to potentially be shot myself. There's potential every time we leave the compound there could be an IED a roadside bomb that could go off and kill me or maim me or injure me in some way or injure my teammates in some way you know people that have those conversations in their head the people that imagine those things before they go to combat are the people that I've seen uh, that have succeeded in the moment and then also they've succeeded after the fact the guys that have those conversations they don't think about that they don't 
take the time to process that beforehand. When they're in the moment, they're forced to make a decision that they're not prepared for. And when you force something like that, you have pushback from yourself because um, you're not ready for it. And so guys sometimes freeze up or they miss the shot on purpose or they start shaking or they go and they see somebody injured um, it's bleeding out and they know they have to, you know, uh, stop the bleeding in some way and they, they freeze. They don't know what to do. Uh, and then when they get back home, they have post-traumatic stress. You know, they have a hard time dealing with this stuff. And I've got guys on my team that have, you know, we've all seen the same thing, done the same thing, gone through the same exact experiences. And some guys are totally okay. They can go have a family, spend time with their kids and laugh and have a barbecue on the weekend and live their lives. And some guys can't do that at all. You know, some guys contemplate suicide. They have a hard time managing this and dealing with this. And I'm not saying one, one way is right, one way is wrong. What I'm saying is I don't want them to suffer. And I think partly the reason why they do is because perhaps they didn't prepare themselves enough before we left, you know, for what they were about to experience. And so I've seen a lot of that. And, and in my personal experience, you know, you say there's no atheist in a foxhole. Um, it doesn't matter to me what you believe. There's something out there, the universe, vibration, God, Jesus, you know, Muhammad, whatever you want to believe in, you know, yeah, yeah. believe in something, you know, and do your best to live by those principles. You know, that's what I, that's what I, in my heart, I, 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 I you know, believe in. That's awesome. That's, thank you so much. Um, Jason, when, when things get really, really tough, really bad, um, you talk about this a little bit in your book, what do you do? How do you cope when things get really crappy? Um, and you can even use an example, uh, another story, um, coming from your experience over there, um, in the military, what, what happens when that happened to you? How do you deal with that to help you go forward? And how can we, how can we adapt uh, the same kind of mentality? Yeah, I think what you're getting at is is getting comfortable being uncomfortable, you know, and accepting this deliberate discomfort mindset and saying, you know what, life is hard, deal with it. You know, whether you like it or not, hard times are going to come. So uh, you might as well be proactive and choose hard before hard chooses you. You know, I, I truly believe that. Um, and that's why I wrote the book, Deliberate Discomfort. So I look at it as though I'm, I'm getting stronger. This is training. This is a test. Anything that happens to me, I'm learning from it. And if I look at everything in that way, in that lens, you know, things tend to be easier. And when you're younger, I'll, I'll tell you like this, like when in the military, when you're younger, it starts to rain or, or, you know, it's cold outside or whatever. You're like, this sucks, man. This kind of sucks. I don't want to be here. And the tougher you get, the more training you go through, you kind of laugh. You're like, of course it's raining out. If it ain't raining, we ain't training. You know, and it's like cold and you're like, man, this is cold. You know, this will be a funny story one day. I can laugh about it with my brothers. You know, this is shared a shared hardship that, that helps us bond together. I kind of like this. I kind of like how it sucks. And then you get a little bit older, you know, and you, and you, and, and you go through perhaps like the special forces, you kind of think to yourself, you know, man, it's cold outside. It's miserable. I'm laughing now at my friends. I'm laughing at myself. And you think, man, I wish it would be even worse. How could we make it harder on ourselves so we can be tougher? You know, and, and that's sort of the mindset that, that you uh, adopt. You know, if, if you 
if you take this deliberate discomfort path, because we're naturally inclined as people to want to know how far we can push ourselves. You want to know what you can take, how strong you are. That's why people go on these adventure races and marathons and ultra marathons and triathlons and Ironmans and the whole thing is because they want to know what they can do. They need to prove it to themselves. They need to know. They want that knowledge. And, uh, and that's a great mindset to have, I think. But you can't force it now. You know, if you force it upon somebody, they're going to push back. It has to be. It a, takes a time to acquire that. It's a voluntary thing. And it takes yeah. time. And it's different for everybody. You know, if you were to tell me when I was 18 years old that this is the way and you should do it this way, you'd get, you'd, Jason Van Camp would be pushing back hard on that, you know? But you telling bet. it to me now, yeah, it's truth. I'll do it. Give me a, few, you know, a little bit of time to train up for it and I'll do it with you. Love that mindset. For sure. You know, um, how were you different from back when you were very first going into the military um, and now? Uh, how old are you now? 44, but I look 40. So I'm good Gosh, that, yeah, you do. You do look 40. <laughs> you look <laughs> in your 30s. Yeah, 44, that's cool. I used to think when I was 44, I was a 44 Magnum. It was kind of cool. Ah, I but, never thought um, about it like that. Okay. Now that you're uh, in your 40s, and um, how are you different right now than you were back back then? How are you different in what way? And and how are you? How do you think you're better than you were before? I think now. And this is for me individually. I, I accept it. I accept things. I accept hardship. I accept discomfort. Uh, I got married when I was 40 years old. I've got a four-year-old daughter and a two-year-old son. That's the epitome of deliberate discomfort. You know, uh, my daughter <laughs> would wake up four times in the middle of the night and then wake up at 4 a.m. every single day, you know, every single day. And you love her for it. And you find yourself bonding with her and loving her more because of all the service you're giving her all of the attention, all of the changed diapers, all of the changed clothes, all of the throw up you have to you clean up, all of the you know corrections that you make. You would think that that would inspire, be a catalyst for hatred, but it's the opposite. You love her more, you bond with her more, you, you're, you wanna serve her more. Um, my son's actually pretty easy, he's a sweetheart. He, does, he sleeps all through the night, 12 hours, so we were blessed with him. Um, and he's, he's a great, he's a fantastic kid. But with kids in general, that's what you learn, you know? So you accept like, this is the way it is. Why complain about it? It serves no purpose, right? And um, it only inspires negativity in the household. And even though I'm not arguing or yelling at my wife, if I bring that negativity in, if I bring the complaining in, if I bring anything, the venting in, she's gonna get upset. She's gonna think I'm angry at her for some reason. It's not the case. When I was younger, I think, um, especially in the military, uh, I wanted everything to be just. And life is not just. You know, if someone does something to me, I have to get revenge. I have to make sure that it's, I get, I get, you know, justice back. If somebody, you know, said something to me or, you know, offended me or, or said something because they were trying to make me tougher or better, I would sort of like write their name down mentally and say, all right, one day I'll get you back. You know what I mean? Just, I'll just bide my time and, and you're going to get it back. And that's just a, a poor way of going about your business. You know, it's just, it's not worth it. You know, people are, yeah. are living their lives. They're trying to do the best they can. And they think differently than you. They have different perspectives. And the way that you do business, the way that you think is not the way that they think. And it doesn't mean that you're right or they're right. It just means that you guys are thinking differently. 
And I, I think that's the perspective I have now, especially after going and living in Russia for two years and Korea for a year and going to Africa and three years in Iraq. People are different. They think differently. They understand things differently. You know, uh, learning these languages as well and reading these languages, you see uh, the way that we uh, see things is completely different than somebody else's vision of, of what was going on. And uh, it's kind of difficult to explain that um, if you haven't mastered a foreign language like that, but it's, uh, it's true. Well, you know, your experience in other countries, um, how much do you love the United States of America having been time out outside the country and back now? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> there are a lot of patriots in this country and, and I'm, I consider myself one of them. You know, I've served my country. I'll continue to serve my country, continue to serve its citizens. Um, and, uh, and I've got some friends that went over to Afghanistan to refuse, to rescue some of these refugees, these Afghans trying to flee the country. And, and one of my buddies, Nick Palmashano, who uh, started Ranger Up and now he's got a marketing company called Diesel Jack Media, one of the greatest guys who's ever lived. And I told him, I said, hey, Nick, if there's any chance I can get over there, let me know because I want to help. But I don't want to go over there and be stuck on a tarmac, you know, being told we can't leave the, the airfield or, you know, passing out bottles of water. Like, I don't want to go all the way across the world to do that. If you're going to do some missions, I want in. And he said, all right, Jason, I'm going over there and I'll, I'll text you back in, in 24 hours. And so um, 24 hours later is when the bombing happened at the airport. Oh, my gosh. You know, and so I called him and I was like, bro, are you OK? What's going on? He's like, yeah, man, they're evacuating everybody. Doesn't look like there's a chance for you to get over here. But let me tell you something. You know, he's like, I was a ranger. I deployed, I think he said five times to Afghanistan. He's like, I've never felt more American. I've never felt more like a patriot than I have in the last 24 hours. Wow. Like, Ugh, that's so cool. Uh, congratulations. But I missed out, you know, like I could yeah. have gone and helped and done something and helped, you know, he's like, bro, I, I rescued thousands of Afghans, went off, went out of the airfield, went into the city, you know, went on these missions, grabbed oh. these folks and, and got them to safety. And, um, and that's sort of what it's all about. Like when you're a Green Beret, it isn't about like, kicking down doors, kind of the Navy SEAL mindset and like being the, being the, the force, the operator it was about yeah. being quite professional, you know, it was about, uh, liberating the oppressed. I mean, that's our oppressed. Uh, that's our motto, the oppressed will be bear. And it was about helping other people. And that's what attracted me to the special forces, to the, to the green berets. You know, it was about, you know, force multiplier, um, you know, helping other people, serving other people and, and not being the guy that's, you know, getting the national attention or getting all the credit. It's about being right. the guy that's helping other people achieve that. You, you know what? That makes me think about something else you said in your book, and that's talking about um, uh, not expecting so much of what people can do for you, but what you can do for other people in in the line of service. Talk about that real quick. Yeah, so that's sort of the trifecta of happiness is, you know, all the chemicals going through your body, you know, dopamine, you know, uh, the endorphins, every, you know, all that stuff kind of peaks when you're at service to your fellow man. And that's a powerful um, realization, you know, and that's why so many religions promote service is because 
almost counterintuitively, you're happiest when you're serving someone else. That's what we're designed to do as humans. And that's, uh, and for a lot of people that doesn't make sense, but it's sort of an epiphany moment for, for people that accept that as truth. And, and, uh, and I strongly believe that. We need a lot more of, the, of that in our world today. It seems like so many people are just, just angry and frustrated and lonely and depressed and lots of different negative emotions. Uh, we need more of that love and giving and support and forgiveness and kindness in the world today. And that's why I wanted this podcast. I was tired of all this stuff going on in 2020 with the whole pandemic. I want some good news. So um, this is awesome. This is exactly, you are exactly what I um I admire. And so I, I think what you're doing is fantastic. Well, Bob, I appreciate that, man. And I appreciate you because you did something about it. So many people want to be thought leaders. They want to talk, but nobody wants to take action because it's hard, because it's uncomfortable. And I tell people, act, do something about it. And you're a guy who did something about it. You saw a problem. You said, what could I do? You came up with a solution. So I'm going to create this, this podcast. I'm going, to, I'm going to create this show where people can talk and I get this, this mindset out to the, to the masses. And, uh, and I applaud you for it. Thank and, you. Uh, well done. Thanks so much, man. Coming from you means a ton to me. Um, I'm running out of time with you and I wish I could keep you for like five more hours, but I can't. I'll, I'll respect your time. I do want to ask you any final words of support and encouragement to me and uh, anyone who listens to you, Jason. Um, uh, any final words of, of support and encouragement that would come from you? Uh, well, I appreciate you asking me that, man. It's, um, you're doing a great job and I'm proud of you, man. And you got to keep moving forward. Times will be dark. Times will be tough. There are times when you're going to want to quit. Just keep putting one foot in front of the other, you know, just grind away, embrace the suck as we say in the military. And you'll find eventually that you've arrived at your destination. And that's going to be a beautiful thing. So don't quit, man. Just keep going forward. And uh, one of the things that we do at Mission Six Zero, uh, I'll leave a couple uh, calls to action there. Is you know, we have the book Deliberate Discomfort. You can find it for free. Just pay for the shipping at deliberatediscomfort.com, or you can go to Amazon to get the book. Uh, a couple other books on the way. You know, the Deliberate Discomfort um, book is going to be a trilogy, and so there's book number two. Hopefully, will be out next year. And um, it's going to be about combat, combat leadership. So the first book is about what I wish I would have learned before I went to combat. And the second book is about what I learned about leadership in combat. And then the third book is going to be about, you know, what I learned after the fact. And it's going to deal with post-traumatic stress and, and things like that. Um, we have a challenge. It's a 60-day deliberate discomfort challenge. And it's powerful. And we're going to start our, our 2022 class on January 3rd. So anybody that wants to sign up for this challenge, very difficult, no excuses, no mercy. If you want a better life, if you want to start your year off on the right foot, go to challenge.deliberatediscomfort.com and we'll get you loaded up. We're trying for a 500 person class and um, it's going to be awesome. Hey, is that um, virtual uh, in person combination of both? What, what is that, Jason? So it's a 60 day program where every single day I give you six requirements mentally, just like in the book, mentally, we ask you to read a book from start to finish once a week. We have a, a library of books or you can choose your own books, 
but you have to start Monday and you have to finish Sunday. Uh, physically, we give you a workout program, 60, hour, 60 minutes in the gym and 60 minutes cardio outdoors every single day. On Saturday, we have a third workout, which is a Valor Challenge, where we honor a fallen military veteran. I give you a nutrition plan. And if you want to upgrade to have meals delivered to your house, we do that too. Uh, spiritually, we have a mindfulness program. So you listen to an audio tape of mindfulness, different practice every single day. Every single day, we, we improve upon, we expand our the time that we practice mindfulness. Uh, spiritually, we ask you to reach out to a friend, a family member, a past friend, somebody you had a falling out with and have a meaningful conversation with that person every single day. Emotionally, we have a gratitude journal that you write in every single day. And then professionally, we have a masterclass and you watch one video, which is about 15 minutes in duration every single day. And then you post about it on our online, on your social media platform of choice, something that impacted you from the challenge. Uh, we have a private group where everybody that's going through the challenge can support each other, can talk about how hard the day was, can laugh about things, can post pictures. And that's powerful because when you're going through something as a team and you see somebody else struggling, you see somebody else doing something hard, you don't give yourself any excuses. You say, you know what, that person did the sprints today you know, in, in Michigan in 20 degree weather. I'm in Florida, I don't feel like doing it today. I don't have to deal with the weather. I'm gonna do it today. You know, there's no excuse. I got to do it. And uh, you can bring some friends along with you. You can form a small team with you and or you can do something in person together with people. And so that's sort of what we're doing. Uh, we've done 40 classes this year in, in 2021. Uh, we've had thousands of people sign up for it. And next year, our uh, inaugural class will be on January 3rd. So it's going to be exciting. Fantastic. Well, I, I am definitely going to jump into that class. I think it'd be fantastic and a great way to kick off the year. And uh, so, dude, thank you so much for being on the show with me. I really appreciate it. Um, I want to, again, thank you for your service and the service that you bring to us every single day now that you're even out of the military, using that experience to share your um, your your experience with us and with me personally. Um, it's been fantastic. You're a, I'm your hero to me. So thank you very much. And um, to those who are listening to the podcast, thank you uh, for for going along with us and listening to Jason Van Camp. Um, until we hear from each other again, stay alive to tell about it. Thanks, I'm out here on the front lines.